position, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! Welcome, it's The Outsiders, brought to you by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. It's Podcast 52. My name is Bryn Griffiths. Robin Brownlee joins us. How you doing, Robin? <laughs> nice, nice entrance. Nice, nice frog in the throat. I'm good, except for whatever it is I just swallowed. Hey, lots of stuff to talk about well, today. Uh, hey, by the way, I had my COVID shot yesterday, my Pfizer yes. COVID shot. So, uh, so I'm excited about that, but I was kind of expecting I was going to be a little on the weak side, the weary side today, but I, I feel like I got a lot of energy. How about the NHL, the federal government, waiving the 14-day quarantine rule down to seven days now, just prior to the trade deadline to make it easier for the Canadian teams? Are you a little surprised by that? And what about the optics? There are people that are waiting for these shots. I'm lucky enough to say I got mine done, but I just, I think that sometimes the federal government needs to think about how it's going to play out or do they care at all? You know, optics matter, although I, I grow a little bit weary of the term, to be honest. What about this group? What about that group? When it comes to life and death, when it comes to people in seniors' homes, when it comes to frontline people, I get it. I can't think of too many other groups, however, that are tested every single day. Yeah. Hey, you know, if you want to call it pandering to the elite, uh, to athletes, how come they get, they can do this and we can't. I understand the sentiment, but the reality is the NHL record, uh, while some troubles lately, has been overall very good during the pandemic if you're getting tested every single day and there's still a seven-day quarantine involved i don't see a problem i'm not a doctor i don't even play one on tv but i it it doesn't rub me the wrong way for those who who uh, don't like it i understand but personally not a biggie for me covid obviously played a factor in the series between the montreal canadians at home and the Edmonton Oilers, but those games have all been rescheduled. It, it did force the NHL, though. The one thing we did hear was that they were they were they were thinking that when the season concluded here, that they might have to chew up a little bit of their first week going into the playoff run to make up some games. It's going to happen, mm-hmm. especially with Edmonton and Montreal. I think they're going to play two games before the playoffs start, so the Canadian division might start a few days behind the U.S. teams. But for the most part, you still have to consider this a success by the National Hockey League. They seem to be able to make it work. Well, they're either going to have to uh, extend the timeline, which in itself isn't, isn't, you can't just snap your fingers and do it, or they're going to have to have a cutoff date and now you go to points percentage because... We've got, depending on the team, 20 to 25 games left Uh, with this. And I don't want to make it all about COVID, but this is 
directly impacts this kind of thing. This third wave that seems to be blowing up again uh, out east uh, in different areas in Alberta, uh, it, it's not great either. I don't see how they're, well, most of the season's been played. There's still a good chunk of it left. And I think it's something over 40 games so far that have had to be changed. So you've got a third of the season left. You're not going to get through that clean either. So they're either going to have to back it up or they're going to have to, and if it backs up too far and that's a problem, they're either going to have to say, okay, guys, here's our cutoff date. Uh, it, it's point it's point percentage. Um Either way that works is fine by me. Um, I just don't see them getting done anywhere near the timeline they first uh, imagined. We've talked about this before, and we'll bring it up again. I, I've enjoyed the All-Canadian division this season. I don't want to see it next year. I, I'm missing I'm missing watching some of the American teams and some of the American superstars that are playing down there. So I'm prepared to deal with it here. However, the one thing that's been fascinating this season is how some teams have had other teams' number. Let's look mm -hmm. at the Edmonton Oilers are, I think, a perfect 7-0 and against the Ottawa Senators. That's yeah. going to determine them making the playoffs. It's also going to determine whether or not the Calgary Flames are going to miss because they have struggled mightily with the Ottawa Senators. Toronto Maple Leafs have had the Edmonton Oilers' number. The Toronto Maple Leafs struggle with the Ottawa Senators. It's every mm -hmm. team seems to have their their kryptonite, I guess is the best way to put it. But uh, it's that has made it fun for me, even though, uh, you know, a, a three-game series is a little lengthy for me. I would have no problem if we have a new season next year and American teams are coming in where you, uh, where you see teams play. We've talked about the baseball schedule type thing where a team stays and plays two games and then they're out of here. But three games is a bit of a push for me. I don't know how you're finding that. I would like to see the other teams. I think if you, uh, you know, and, and you might have to swing it from year to year, although the conditions are going to change. Hopefully we're through with this uh, by the end of this season uh, with vaccinations and the like. I don't mind. I don't mind the baseball style uh, in a North division. I wouldn't mind seeing it back Bryn, but instead of, you know, nine and 10 games within the division. I'd still go heavy on it, but I'd like to see the other teams twice. Um, and if that means, you know, you come in, they come into your your place uh, for two games and then the next year it's two games in their place, or maybe you split it. It depends on the travel circumstances and what's happening with COVID. But I like I like a heavy schedule uh, within the division as heavy as it is now, nah, not so much, but heavy division wise. Yeah. I could go for that again. We never had a chance to really kind of talk too much about, uh, the situation with referee Tim Peel, where his microphone was left open. Uh, and of course he said a few things that made it suggest that there was game management done by referees. And I, I sat there and I thought to myself, yeah, so what? Referees have been managing games for years. Yep. Go all the way back to the, well, going back to you and I watched games in the Western Hockey League. I used to call it marble officiating where a referee had five marbles in either pocket. He'd call a penalty against one team, take the marble out there, put it in the other pocket. By the end of the game, he'd have five marbles in, in both pockets again. It's just the way <laughs> it is. 
I don't see why it was so shocking, but I also understand that the league had to look like they were doing something. It's a shame. Well, and Tim Peel was going to retire at the end of the season anyway, but this has certainly put a bit of a black mark on him. But uh, I don't see, I don't have any trouble with game management. I think it's important. I just feel a little sorry for Tim Peel that it had to end like this. You know, I'm, I'm with you part of the way, Bryn. I do have a problem with game management um, in the extreme. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, and sometimes, sometimes to me, it bleeds into that extreme area. Um, if you're a highly skilled team, and look, I'll use the Edmonton Oilers. Maybe I sound like a homer. But you can say it for the Toronto Maple Leafs as well with the, with the higher-end skill they've got. If Connor McDavid has, or Leon Dreisaitl, or the both of them, have drawn three consecutive penalties in the first 15 minutes of a game because they're stronger, faster, and more skilled than the other guys, I don't want the referee looking the other way if there's an infraction that would make it four straight penalties Uh, just because it doesn't seem fair and the other team is going to bitch and moan and piss and whine. If it plays out that way, it plays out that way. I understand. I I mean, I've listened to Kerry Fraser. You might manage a game where you say to both benches, fellas, any more of this horse shit, I'm calling everything and somebody's going to get run because the game's getting extremely chippy on both sides. Yeah. There's cheap stuff going on. You wish, and I tell you what, when you're around the rink, Bryn, now we, you know, I used to sit up in the press box, uh, but occasionally, you know, you go down on the way, catch the last couple minutes of a period, you're close to the glass and the fans can hear it too. Referees talk all the time. They talk amongst themselves and they talk to the players and it always it isn't always pretty, and it isn't always something you'd want repeated for public consumption right. over the airways. Peel got caught in that. I got no big issue with it. I have a bigger issue with deviating from the rule book too much because you don't want to be seen as favoring one team over the other. Because guess what? If the bosses look at the fit footage, and see that you're favoring one team over the other, they should be replacing you. If they see that you're getting shit from one bench because, like I say, the penalties are four or five to zero or to one because somebody keeps putting the grab on Connor McDavid, well, TFB, stop putting the grab on Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews or, or pick your player. Call the game within reasonable earshot of what the rule book is. I don't want a display of power plays all game, every ticky-tack call. Yeah. But determine the level at which you're going to call things. But don't look away into the 10th row when it's a horse caller on McDavid because, ooh, we already called three penalties. We can't call a fourth. Yes, you can. Call it close to buy the book i'm kind of with you on the in the one respect too and that is i don't want everything called and Connor mcdavid's going to draw his fair share of penalties and there's going to be times guys are going to look away i get that 
Let's look at the Toronto-Edmonton series where the Oilers didn't win a single game of those three. They didn't have very many power plays in that game. Do you blame the referees nope. for that? I don't. The Edmonton nope. Oilers were chasing right from the get-go in every single one of those games. And when you don't have the puck, you don't draw penalties. It doesn't matter who's refereeing the game. So as far as I'm concerned, was I shocked to hear that? No, I wasn't at all. I've always suspected that. And I, I expect to see more of that kind of stuff from referees. I don't think much is going to change. And I agree with you on the one respect. If it's starting to look pretty obvious that, that you're favoring teams, this league's always gone and talked to referees about, about making sure that they're calling it fair. So mm-hmm. I, uh, when, when I talk about game management, I don't think it's got to do with the jersey colors. I just think it's, they just, uh, they call it the way they see it. I, I, people aren't going to like the refereeing anyway. They never do. Just depends on which jersey those fans are wearing, right? They just aren't going to like the refereeing. Not this decision by getting rid of Tim Peel isn't going to fix that. There's no. always going to be people that don't like referees. Some guys you can respect a little bit. The thing that I when when I, when I saw this whole episode play out, I figured that's going to be it for referees with microphones. And then I thought to myself, there's one referee that I'm going to miss hearing. Right? Do you know who I'm talking about? The one referee who puts on more of a show with a microphone than any other. It's Wes McCauley. I like We've got a goal. We've got a goal. I, I actually think that's part of the fun, and I have no trouble with that. But I, I just – I understand why the league did what they did, but I, like I said, for a guy who's had a pretty solid career, and I know he's put the league in some positions on a few occasions, I just thought it was a – you know what? Rather than say you fired him, well, I don't know, Robin. That's a tough one. I mean, I, I don't know what the league was going to do there, but it's uh, it's sad to see a guy's career end like that. And now the only thing that people will talk about when he says what he did for a living, they're going to say, oh, yeah, you're that guy. You're that guy. It's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. Well, I tell you, in the wake of this, and I don't recall the referee, but it was within a couple of days, did you see the uh, little powwow between the officials? And yeah. Covered the mic. Yeah. I I think what we'll see out of this, if nothing else, I hope it's not the only thing, but I think the, uh, I think the officials might go to the league and say, look, we've got a problem with this. It's not important to be mic'd up enough to, so when you come to the blue line, you know, holding penalty. Who gives a crap? You give the signal. I know what the penalty's for, and the commentators can call it as well. Yeah. If if there's any chance that they're going to get caught by a hot mic, I wouldn't blame the officials to say, not wearing them, not doing it, because that was, you, you can't have a hot mic like that because nothing was said that's out of the ordinary by, Tim Peel doesn't mean I want my son to hear it or little little Becky at home, but it's nothing out of the ordinary in the context of hockey talk. Somebody blew it, leaving that mic hot. Hey, uh, we have AJ Jacobit coming on from TSN 1200 in Ottawa. We're going to talk primarily about the fact that we're still talking about this XFL CFL story. I'm amazed that it's continuing to. It just keep generating headlines. It, it's uh, it's kind of surprising to me. We'll maybe ask a senator a question or two with AJ. And also, coming up next week, Kelly Rudy from Hockey Night in Canada is going to join us. I'm looking forward to that. So we'll get to AJ coming up here in a couple of minutes. We do have to remind you, 
that The Outsiders is brought to you by the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. The best time to buy a house? Well, probably it was 20 years ago, but right now, the second best time is right now. The value properties in Edmonton, for example, are on the rise. So if you're a first-time home buyer, an investor, or looking to sell your current home, maybe look to buy a bigger house, then this is the perfect time to, uh, to make an upgrade. I saw some stats on it not long ago. The housing prices in Edmonton are doing very well. They don't have a ton on the market like they used to, or glut as they like to call it, but the prices, the prices are definitely rising. So if you'd like to get some more information, get a hold of Brent or any of his team members, contact the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City, 780-464-0075. He's got a great podcast too, by the way, called Just Sold with Brent McIntosh. You can check it out on all of your favorite ear candy sites. But anyway, if you'd like to find them online, you can check them out at macintoshgroup.ca and make sure you tell them that the outsiders sent you. All right, are you ready? We've only got to ask AJ, only have to ask AJ four questions because he uh, he has definite opinions, especially on this potential merger between the two leagues. Let's get to AJ Jackipick right now. If you had told me this XFL, CFL story would still have legs three weeks later, I would have said, hey, that's great. Because generally a good CFL story has got a, I don't know, a shelf life of a few days. But this thing keeps going and going and going. AJ Jakubik joins us from TSN 1200 in Ottawa. How are you doing today? Real good, guys. So are you surprised that the story continues to go like the Energizer Bunny? I'm not because, uh, you know, it, it tugs on the heartstrings of, of so many different Canadians, right, that uh, are so passionate about the league. Even, you know, even those that maybe haven't been supporting the league, uh, you know, going to 10 games a year or even five games a year. I, I think there's there's so many people that have, you know, grown up watching the league or grown up going to games or, you know, just watching great cups and, you know, it's that Can- Canadian-American thing again as well, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of people so patriotic. And I think, you know, probably now more than, you know, any other part in the last 40 years, I think people are proud of that Canadiana and want to be a little bit more distinct from the United States. And, you know, this, this is one of those uh, classic stories where it, it is, you know, kind of our game against their game, but... Yeah, curious to see how it plays out, but uh, I, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm uh, unabashedly pro-merger. And, you know, in terms of the football media that that covers this sport in this country, I, I seem to be, at least based on Twitter and what I'm reading on there, I seem to be in the minority, or, or at least I'm not, uh, you know, it, maybe it's a, a vocal minority the other way, but I don't know, we'll get into it, but I, I just feel like... Uh, I haven't found any answers, right? There's a lot of different pieces and articles and, and people coming up with solutions to, to problems that I, I think when it comes to demographics and when it comes to, you know, in particular, the three largest markets in this country, I, I just don't think, I think that ship has sailed in, in a lot of ways. So uh, I'm intrigued by it. I, I'm not saying it's a slam dunk 
to be a success, but I, I think uh, this has more of a chance than just continuing with the status quo. Well, AJ, I mean, I, I completely get the buzz. Um, I mean, everything today is social media driven to some extent. Here you've got a guy who appeals to a younger demographic in Dwayne Johnson or The Rock. He's got real personality. He's got real money. He's not uh, some guy nobody's ever heard of with a questionable net worth. I understand the buzz. It's the it's now rolling it out and seeing if it can work. You say you're pro-merger. I'm certainly pro willing to listen to see where it goes. But what has to happen next to get beyond the buzz to get past the sizzle and get to the stake? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. It's uh you know, I, I think. I mean, a lot has to happen for, I mean, just in terms of, okay, what are they going to do? How are they going to handle the rules? What do they, what do they do with the Canadian content? What do they do with uh, the schedule? Because the, the reality is what works in the United States maybe doesn't work in, in Canada that way and, and, and vice versa. So th- there's, a, there's a lot to go over here, but um, I, I, I think even I underestimated the, the power of the rock. I, I mean, I was looking on the weekend and you look at social media followers and you look at, okay, combine all the different CFL accounts on, on Twitter, um, including the, the league account itself. And, and that amounts to about 1.5 million followers. Meantime, he's at 15 million. Um, and, and you look at, you know, Instagram, which is probably even more popular with the younger generation. And he's got 225 million followers on there. And, you know, he's got more followers than Lionel Messi. You know, only Cristiano Ronaldo has more followers um, from a sporting perspective. I think Ariana Grande is the other. I mean, in terms of people, it's Cristiano Ronaldo, Ariana Grande, and The Rock, which, (laughs) you know, there's a start, right? Then then you look at the money and, and, you know, obviously he's got a lot of money and Danny Garcia, but, you know, this, this Redbird capital, I mean, they just, uh, you know, they're, they're sinking money into everything right now. And, and so, like, that, that is an intriguing partnership as well. Then, then you look at the fact that, you know, you, you look at all the different major sports in the world and there's, there's major leagues. Okay, yeah, we, we look at the NHL as, okay, it's the best league in the world. And it is. And the NBA is the best league in the world. And major League Baseball is the best league in the world. But you look overseas and you have pretty viable second leagues in in japan and baseball um in you know the khl and some of the other leagues in in hockey and um the the euro league when it comes to basketball and football just you know like the canadian football league is the only other viable league but here we are with interest in the united states and the amount of players that you have in the united states and you've got the shortest season You've got, you know, basically a four-month season, five if you include playoffs, and you've got this long off-season where, you know, everyone's just kind of waiting for games. And, you know, whenever you're in the States, like I've been in the States in the spring a lot for NHL playoffs and and March Madness. I've been six different times. And you turn on ESPN in the spring, and all they're talking about is football. Yeah. And and the draft, and, and, and you watch ESPN Sports Center and, 35 minutes of football and 25 minutes on everything else 
you know, they haven't played a game for three months. They're not going to play a game for another four or five minutes. So the, the, the appetite for football there is, is huge. And I, I think, I think this can work. I really do. I I'm, I'm a rare believer that spring football in the United States, especially if it's a little bit later, not just in March, but like starts in like April, mid April, whatever. I, I believe it can work. And I think what the CFL provides that, you know, leagues that, that have started up, um, you know, can't in, in the past is just history, tradition, roots, you know, legit fan bases that, that have, you know, years of history and, and, and hardcore fans. And, and so um, from that perspective, I think it can work. And I think in, in places like Toronto in particular, and you could say Vancouver and Montreal to a certain extent, and then that even goes into some of the media markets as well. But I, I, almost, I, I almost think, like, imagine Vancouver's playing at Seattle. Like, it's BC Lions at Seattle to start. And Seattle, like, their uh, XFL team, along with St. Louis, those are the two best drawing teams. They, they were well over 20,000 a game. So all of a sudden, let's say the BC Lions are starting in Seattle against the Dragons yeah. in April of 2022 or 2023, and they see 30,000 people at the game. Uh, and all of a sudden, two weeks later, they're hosting a game. There might be a lot of people that are saying, geez, you know what? You know, Seattle's a big kind of quote-unquote rival of ours and sister city of ours or whatever you want to call it. If they think it's a big deal, maybe we should think this is a big deal as well. And I think that uh, really applies in a place like Toronto as well. So, uh, and look, I'm not saying 100% that I think it's going to work, but I I, I, I am saying that I, I don't think you know, given what I've seen anecdotally and what I've seen statistically. And, you know, you look at the Angus Reed poll numbers from three years ago and how people 54 and under then, so they'd be 57 and under now, prefer American football. And, and, and anecdotally, I can tell you the people that I grew up with in Edmonton going to, you know, back when they were the Eskimos, going to games in the Warren Moon era. I mean, that's the greatest team in the history of the Canadian Football League. And so, like, I grew up going to games with buddies in the 80s and, and 90s when Edmonton was the flagship franchise of the league. And those buddies that I went to games with, not just other friends that didn't even care about the CFL then, those CFL buddies, the majority of those guys, and now there's a couple that w- would be heartbroken by this, but the majority of those guys, rather than, you know, when we were going to Grey Cups in Calgary in, in 93 and Labor Day games and taking the bus down to Calgary and that sort of thing. They're not doing that now. They're, they're taking trips to Seattle to see the Seahawks. They're taking trips to Arizona and the Bay Area and Denver and Miami to go see NFL games or college football games. And so I just think uh, they're, in this country, in the last 40 years, uh, you know, it, it's been trending towards American football for so long that I, I, I think, you know, there's going to be some backlash for sure. But I think this is an opportunity to kind of reset and recharge uh, some franchises that are great franchises and still have great fan bases, but, you know, bring a little different energy into it that uh, maybe can attract not just the younger fan, but even people my age again. We, we chatted with Rod Peterson last week. I'm surprised, that, like I said, that we're still talking about this story, but I'm going to ask you the exact same question I asked Rod. Are you surprised that there are people – prepared to throw the league under the bus and say, let it fold just for the sake of one down 
There are people that are, are talking about the fact that they won't accept four-down football and they'd rather see the league go away. And I'm thinking that's the most insane thing I've ever heard. What about you? Yeah, I, I mean, I understand why people are passionate about it. And, right, everyone's got their different lines in the sand. Like, for me, it's the Grey Cup. You know, like, you, you've got a trophy. Again, if you're the XFL, you know, that that's one of the things that you should be clamoring on to. And saying, okay, well, first and foremost, this is a trophy that has a, over 100 years of history. We we need to make this our trophy, right? Uh, along with, you know, whoever wins between. And maybe you have XFL and CFL, kind of like NFL and AFL or whatever. I don't know exactly how it might work. But at, at the end of the year, the, the two champions play for the Grey Cup. Like, that's that's one of the greatest trophies in sports. So that's, that's my line, line in the sand. I'd be really disappointed if they didn't use the gray cup. And, and yeah. I think that would be a big mistake, uh, but everyone's got their line in the sand for some people I've talked to. It's Canadian content. They, they really want to see, and, and it doesn't have to be necessarily the, the ratio, the way it is right now, but they really want to see opportunities for Canadian players, especially when you talk to ex players that had the opportunity to, to play the game and, and be a professional. So I understand that. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, I don't understand. Like, I don't care about three downs, four downs. I've, I just like football. I, I don't think, like when I think of the greatest football games I've ever watched, like I can think of 20 games and I can pick 10 on each side of the border. Like you, you can't tell me that. I, I, I keep hearing so many times that, well, you know, they, they might get the better players, but we have the better game. And I think, okay, well, look at college football. That doesn't have the best players. The best players in the NFL. What what was, uh, did did four-down football hurt when, you know, it was Catholics against convicts and Notre Dame against Miami? Did it hurt when it was USC and Texas and Vince Young scored that late touchdown? Did it hurt when Auburn scored that, you know, amazing kick six? The return games, one thing that I think, you know, the XFL, CFL, should absolutely keep the, the Canadian style return game with the five yard halo and no yards, because that that's one of the more exciting things about Canadian football. But, you know, um, I could go on and on Boise state, Oklahoma, and, you know, and, and you, I, I could name 10, 15 classic games in the NFL, 10, 15 classic games in college football. And yeah, I could name 10, 15 classic games in the Canadian football league as well. Football's football. It, it's a great sport. And whether it's three downs, or four downs, it, it, it's great. I, I think to me, the bigger thing is you, you don't want to see it exactly the same. I, I'd like to see the, the clock stay in. I think the Canadian yeah. clock is yeah. is way better in the pacing and, you know, the fact you get to the last three minutes of a game. And, you know, we, we saw a game in Ottawa here a few years back where the Bombers in the last three minutes kicked three field goals and won the game and Ottawa didn't turn the ball over. It was kicked the field goal, Ottawa punts, kick the field goal, Ottawa punts, kick the field goal, game over. Like in the NFL, that doesn't happen, right? And it's not because of three downs, four downs. It's because of the clock. So like the clock, the motion, the return game, you know, you can do different things with a field, maybe a hybrid field, you know, where it's half as wide and maybe it's 15 yard end zones. Can you fit a hundred, you know, like 50, 55, what does that matter? That means nothing. In, in terms like that that's just one of those things that, that's like people being uh you know pe- people being nostalgic over the penny 
Like, quite frankly, do we miss the penny? No, we don't miss the penny. No, no one's going to miss the 55 Like yeah. in, in the end. If it's a hundred yards, that, that means nothing. The end zones. Yeah, that does mean something because, you know, like a, a lot of times in, in American football, you get down to the red zone and it's okay. Let's, let's throw a jump ball and to the bigger guy because there's not enough space in the end zone. So I, I do think, you know, that's an area if you've got space in the States, right. All these stadiums, you know, you, you can't just throw in a, a Canadian field on there, but you know, I, I'd like to see some sort of hybrid field, but uh, I don't know, like for me, I, and I get it. I'm, I'm not saying I'm right and they're wrong, but for me, like, you know, back to your question about three downs, four downs, I, you I, don't care. It, it makes no difference to me. Yeah. AJ, one thing, and, and Bryn and I have discussed this, does it, if, if a, if a merger is going to work, does it have to be an all or nothing scenario in terms of teams that migrate over? What happens if the XFL says, hey, we'd love to have, you, you name the teams, we'd love to have Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal, the uh, big, biggest centers in the country. Um, you can't, can you pick and choose and do the merger like that? Or does it have to be the league uh, merges as a whole? Um, it's a great question. Um, I, I was encouraged by the fact that I, fo- <laughs> I followed Danny Garcia on the weekend and I looked and the, the good news is she's not following the CFL, the Argos, the, the Alouettes, and the Lions, and nobody else. <laughs> you know, she's following all nine teams. So that, that was, okay, that, that's a good thing. I, I think it's all or nothing. Look, could, could they cherry pick and, and take, you know, the, the Toronto Argonauts and, and the Alouettes and, and the BC Lions? I guess they could. Um, but, you know, that would, that would leave the other places in a lurch, you know, because – well, what are they going to do? Play in a six-team Canadian Football League? I mean, we've been trying with Halifax for so long, and you know the pandemic is probably—I don't want to say that's dented that completely, but you know it, it, it feels like it's back on the back burner once again when it comes to Halifax. And you know, I, I, I think you need at least eight teams. Um, so if all of a sudden you're a six-team league and you don't have the three biggest markets, where are you going with this? I mean, you can still make it work, I guess, but you're not going to have the same type of sponsorship or, you know, even fan interest or, or whatever. Right. So I, I think it is all or nothing. It, it feels like that's uh, the way it's going to go. And um, I, again, I think that's a, a good thing for, you know, American fans in the sense that no, I, I get it. I mean, are fans in Houston clamoring to see the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? Maybe not, but um, I, I, I I will say like the amount of people that I've met that, you know, from Baltimore, for example, that, that go to gray cups, like there's, there's 12 to 20 people from Baltimore still that still, they still go to gray yeah. cups. And we interviewed four of them uh, back in 2017. And, you know, the, the amount of people that are just passionate about, like they, they got a taste of the Canadian football league and they got a taste of gray cups and they're hooked. And the, and these aren't people that are just CFL fans. Like one of these guys, you know, was a Philadelphia Eagles season ticket holder, still is, but at the same time was going to Baltimore games. And he just loved the different things about the league. And that's why I think, again, when it comes to Grey Cup, 
that that's one of the great things that I think we can bring to the table, not just in terms of the trophy itself, but the week. Like, and to me, Grey Cup can be anywhere. That that's the one thing I've learned. Like, even in places when it's in like Toronto and Vancouver, and it might not have the same type of local feel that you have in in at Edmonton and Ottawa or Regina or Winnipeg, wherever it doesn't matter because you go to these parties and, and you, you could honestly put Grey Cup anywhere and it's going to be a fantastic event because, because of the people that travel every year because of the parties. I mean, whether the spirit of Edmonton is in Edmonton, Ottawa, Toronto, Tampa Bay, uh, Germany, wherever, it's still going to be the spirit of Edmonton party. Right. And I think yeah. that that can be one of our greatest exports is just what we do. Like I've been to Super Bowls, I've been to the national championship game in, in football and, and the football itself. Right. You know, I've been to great. I mean, the Super Bowl I went to, I mean, Brent, you, you remember it was, it was the Patriots Seahawks game and yeah. they didn't give the ball to Marshawn Lynch. That's one of the best games I've ever been to in my life. The, the Rose bowl slash national championship I went to, Auburn and Florida State, they had like four lead changes in the last four minutes of the game. One of the best games I've been to in my life. I've been to great cup games that have been some of the best football games and sporting events I've ever been to in my life. So you can have great sporting events no matter what the football is. But I'll, I'll say this, great cup week versus Super Bowl week. Oh. I'll take great cup week all day. I've been and to both. that's been to both. Yeah. Right? I'm with you like, totally. You, are you picking the $99 party? Um, with with the fourteen dollar drinks, or you pick in Spirit of Edmonton, where you know, like, <laughs> you, you know, I can remember back, and I get it, it's not nineteen ninety three anymore, but you know, like where you're top floor of the of the Sheraton, you're dropping money. It's so so uh, so busy uh, that they're they're taking your money from the first floor when you're on the second floor and throwing up a couple of beers. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like you're at a baseball game. <laughs> like that's Spirit of Edmonton. That that's great cup, right? And, and that that can be one of our greatest strengths and one of our greatest exports, I, I think is what we do with, with gray cup and gray cup week. So yeah, I, I, I think uh, again, everyone's got their line in the sand and everyone's got different things that, that they like, but, but that's one of those things where no matter where gray cup is played, it, it, it's going to be an awesome event. The only thing that scares me a little bit here is, and I think we've all heard the same things that th this this has kind of been brewing for a little while, but it really never got going until the Toronto Argonauts stepped up. And from what I've heard, what you've been hearing is that the Argonauts went to the league and said, look, we want to join that other league. Well, as much as we're very dismissive of the Toronto Argonauts in Edmonton or Ottawa, the TV, the TV contract does still revolve around Toronto, whether people like to yeah. hear that or not. So obviously that was a shocker, had to be a shocker for the CFL. But right now, it just looks to me like it's going to be the bigger markets that are going to have the ultimate say. And I just wonder how much longer this is going to play out. Do you think, as much as we've been talking about it here for almost a month now, how much longer can we go before we start to hear something of some major significance, in your opinion? Yeah, that's a, that's a real good question. Now, we're kind of running <laughs> out of keeps... time here. There's a season that apparently is supposed to start. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing, like, when do you announce it? Like, you know, what do you do next year? Do you have time to, to turn it around as quickly? Right. I mean, if you, if you have a regular normal season that ends with a great cup, November 21st in Hamilton, and you're planning to start 
in April. Yeah. Cause I, I, every, everything I've, everyone I've talked to is saying this thing's going to start in April. Okay. A season's going to run. I don't know if it runs April to September, April to, you know, maybe play a great cup and or a championship game in early October. I don't know, but everyone I've talked to has said April. So, um, you're, you're going to play in November and you're going to have that quick a turnaround with training camps in March. And, you know, like that, you know, football's not, you, you need a little bit of an off season to heal. Right. So yeah. are you going to start in 2022? Do you have a shortened 2022 season? Um, and then maybe come in with a full 2023 season. Do you have a lame duck 22 season? Do you, do you just not play in 2022? You know, there, there's a lot that I, I think is, tough to kind of get your head around and you know the the fact that the cfl came out with you know their statement you know leads me to believe that you know there's no going back at this stage i know they talked about what talking about talking well you're not putting out that statement if you're talking about talking and i i think you know when you look at the rock you know on social media this week basically correcting people about what the schedule would be that you know, th- this is not talking about talking. So I, I don't know. I don't know how long. If 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 you've decided already that you're going forward with this, uh, at some point you're going to have to come out with something a little more tangible. But when do you do it? Right? I mean, when do you strategically do it so that you kind of don't make it a lame duck season? And we've already seen some of the backlash. Right? Yeah. And the reality is, I think there's going to be backlash until they kick off. And then at that point, I think some of the frustration and anger might go away. And some people, you know what? Some people may just say, you know what? I'm just not it. It's not happening. I, I, I tend to believe that a lot of the hardcores that are saying that when push comes to shove and kickoff happens are probably going to be there. But... That that's that's where again some of the timing around this is is fascinating to me because if all of a sudden you say, well, at the end of this season, you know, let's hope it's played. And I think it's going to be played. Yeah. But let's say you say at the end of this season that okay, we're going ahead with this. We're playing one last season, and then in 2023, we're we're truly starting. Well, how's that 2022 season gonna go, right? I I, I have no idea. So look. I, I believe, you know, you look at the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, for example, and they're, they're as mad as anybody right now. They're fan base. Yeah. And they're the biggest fan base. You know, I grew up in Edmonton, like I said, in an era when Edmonton had the biggest fan base in the CFL and wasn't even close. And every other team in the league, you know, there was some sort of five-alarm fire at some point and an SOS, save our team, and, and you know, they got, you know, telethons in Saskatchewan and so on and so forth. Um, Edmonton had never dealt with that in the eighties and nineties and, and really haven't dealt with that at all over the course of the last 40 years since I've been covering and watching and following the CFL. But, um, you look at Saskatchewan and I have a hard time thinking that, you know, as mad as certain fans are there, that when they kick off with a game at home against uh, Houston in 2023 or whatever it might be, uh, there's going to be 33,000 people there. I right, with you. That, that's my opinion. And, and, and to go even further, when the Saskatchewan Rough Riders play their first ever game 
in the United States. Let's anywhere. Say it's in Los Angeles. Anywhere. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Anywhere. Exactly. Could, it could be anywhere. But let's say it's in Los Angeles. We're going to turn on the television and you're going to see green. You're going to see five, maybe even 10,000 green shirts in Los Angeles, uh, Ryder Pride, wearing their watermelons, all that. They're going to be there. Yeah. Like they might be bad now, but they're not throwing their rider stuff in the garbage. They're, like it's too big a deal there. So, um, anyways, to your original question, I don't know when we're going to find out more information and, you know, when they come up with something a little more tangible, but you have to think that, um, I, I would hope it's sooner rather than later. But I think there's other considerations here as well, especially if they plan on they're not going to start until 2023. Well, I tell you what, AJ, in the transition, if it's play a play a final Grey Cup uh, or in this format in November and have to start in April, uh, that might not be ideal, but it's doable. I mean, you're you can heal in December, January, February, and part of March off. You don't need six months to heal up. You can make that relatively quick turnaround. Perfect, no, but doable, yes, just like the NHL has been juggling. But to one of your points, you said, you know, people have their different lines. Uh, you know what? For me, and some people might hate this, Starting in April, starting earlier, some people love and romanticize seeing the game played in absolutely shitty, cold, bitter weather. It's part of the game. My ass, it's part of the game. I want to see the passers pass and the catchers catch without games being decided by which team managed to get the best footwear for the game, because that's what you, you, you cheer for all year is the skill and the game. I don't want to see it played with snow plows parked on the 50 yard line. 2018 gray cup in Edmonton between the Stampeders yep. and Red Blacks. So that was a terrible, this is a terrible football game. And I'm not saying that because Ottawa lost that like, you could have asked, people on both sides of the of the ledger on that and, and i remember you know i was working the sidelines for that game and i went up and joined dave jameson and uh and matt sakaris for the post game show and not one phone call was about the game itself it was all about the field and w what a joke it was right yeah. and, and the weather was great that week so no you're you're, you're bang on on that like look i i do I'm gonna hate. I, I'm going to hate. I know, probably the biggest thing that I'm gonna hate is not gonna be both three downs or eleven players or any of this kind of stuff. We already talked about that. I, I think if they do things right, probably the biggest thing I'm gonna hate is the fact that uh, fall football is probably not gonna be a part of this league. I mean, maybe they play games into September. I can't imagine it would be an August championship. And in talking to people, I think they do play games early into September, but I do love that fall football weather, but you're right. I don't love the winter football weather. And, and I think, you know, the, the league was already looking 
at moving up the schedule. I know, you know, there's probably some pushback from TSN because, you know, in terms of television ratings, what they get after Labor Day is, you know, some of the best ratings that they get all season long. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that at the other end, right, and that's where it's not going to be perfect. At the other end, you know, Stanley Cup playoffs, it's one thing if you've got a Tampa Bay-Dallas final, but, you know, when we start seeing Canadian teams go deep into the playoffs again, or, you know, it, it could get lost in the shuffle a little bit. But, again, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, um, and that's where there's going to have to be probably a little bit of compromise on both sides and probably more compromise on the Canadian side because the reality is, you know, I, I think this is going to be driven by television revenue. Yeah. And there's going to be more revenue available south of the border than north of the border. And, you know, they're, they're going to be looking for content that is outside the traditional football window. And that starts in the U.S. in September. So does it bleed into September? I think it will. I certainly hope it will. Um, but, you know, I, I'm going to miss fall football, but you're right. I probably won't miss. Every once in a while, a snowball is 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 cool, like you know, we, we saw a couple pretty cool playoff games here in Ottawa, one against Edmonton in the Eastern final and one uh, basically the next year in the Grey Cup, the Argos against Calgary. But when it's 20 below, that's not fun for anybody. It's not fun for the players. It's not fun for the fans. And it's it, typically it's not great to watch either. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Play in the best possible uh, conditions. And I, I think that will be uh, one positive uh, that comes out of this. We might be ditching east-west for north-south, which I think might be a lot of fun. We'll see did where that goes. Before, yeah, absolutely right? we did. Yeah, I, and, and I'll be honest, I know it didn't work, but I can tell you my interest in the Canadian Football League between 1993 and 1995, you know, probably as high as it's been up until, you know, I, I, I loved it in the 80s for sure, growing up and Warren Moon and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, the, the transition to, you know, Dunnigan, Ham, Damon Allen, those teams. But I I loved the CFL in 93 to 95. And I get it, it didn't work. But I watched those games. I, I You know, it didn't matter if it was in Baltimore, Shreveport, whatever. I I was into it. And, and I people can dispute this. And maybe I'm dead wrong. And I've read... Ed Willis's book a couple of different times. It's fantastic about American expansion. You can make a pretty strong case that that saved the league. It, it might not have worked long term, but you can make a pretty strong case. Like they went to the United States then out of pure desperation. And here we are almost 30 years later and the league's still kicking. Now, here we are 30 years later with a lot of the same problems. They're different problems, but a lot of the same problems. And, you know, Again, demographics is probably the biggest problem in terms of, you know, the the fan base just being too old around the league. Marketing. Um, but but you know what? Let, let's see how this goes. Let, let, I, I don't care if the Ottawa Red Blacks host. Let, look, do I want to see the Ticats and the, and the Elk and, and the Stampeders and, and the Lions and whatever? Yes, I do. But if, if we see a couple of games a year uh, of the eight or nine home games that it's St. Louis or Houston or – Tampa Bay or New York or whatever, that's fine too. Uh, that, that, that's great. You still have the, the rivalries with the old teams, but you know, uh, sometimes, sometimes there's some good that can come out of things. And, and this league, you know, Dave Naylor talks about this all the time. When he was born, there are nine teams 
in the CFL and six teams in the NHL. <laughs> you know, the NHL's at 32 now, and it's still a nine-team league. I, I, I don't mind seeing a little bit of growth. Hey, uh, before before we go here, just got to ask you a quick Senators question uh, because they're becoming a real pain in the ass for some NHL teams down the stretch here. What And as much as they're a gong show on their own end, they turn the puck over way too much at their own blue line and they turn it over way too much at the other team's blue line, but they're fun to watch and they're really squelching some teams. What's the feeling like in Ottawa now that uh, – Maybe you can see the future and you can see there's some young players and you can see there's some guys that clearly shouldn't be there. Is it a little more upbeat right now in Ottawa? Yeah, most upbeat it's been in four years. That's for sure. Okay. And, you know, there, there's okay. a lot of excitement. Um, you know, like the first couple of weeks, especially when they're out West and they're getting pounded in Vancouver, pounded in Edmonton. Like that was, that was ugly to watch. Um, but you know, you, you look, they got three wins against the Leafs, you know, they, they beat up on the Flames. They've they've done really well against the Habs. It's been the other three teams that not so good. But um, you look at Stutzla and Norris and where they are in rookie scoring. You look at you know Brady Kachuk and his continued development. You look at a guy like Drake Batherson and where he's at. Yeah, Colin White. Yeah. Um, you know Thomas Shabbat is a legit top pairing defenseman, and you know a lot of excitement surrounding the guys that are there right now. But I, I think. We're going to see here in the next couple of days what's going to happen with these North Dakota players. And, you know, they're number one team in the country. They lost that five-overtime game on the weekend to Minnesota Duluth. And, you know, Shane Pinto has a legitimate chance to win the Hobie Baker. I think he's going to come out as a sophomore. Um, Jacob Bernard Dockers, a guy that played for the Canadian World Junior team in the past, I think he's going to come out as a junior. Uh, the, the question is what, uh, you know, he's got Edmonton roots. Uh, you know, I played hockey with his brother, one of his brothers, sorry, I, it would have been, it would be Jake's uncle, but, uh, uh, Jake Sanderson, what, what happens with Jake Sanderson? Because, uh, I thought he was the best player on the ice when the U S won gold against Canada. Um, I watched some of the game on the weekend. Uh, I thought he was the best player on the ice there. I think he's ready to turn pro. Um, and, and I honestly think, you know, there, there was some consternation about the fact that, the uh, the senators didn't take Drysdale. Just like there's always consternation, right? I'm oh, yeah. sure you deal with that in Edmonton. You know, people were mad that Kachuk was picked over Philip Sedina, and that's worked out quite well. The the two things Ottawa does really well: they draft well, they develop well. You, you can argue a lot of other things, but you can't argue the fact that they draft and develop well. And with Stutzla and Sanderson, um, you you can make a case that they could end up with two of the best players in that draft. And I get it at three and five. You, you should get two of the best players in the draft, but they might end up with, you know, the two best players in that draft. Um, so they, they've done really well, and I'm curious to see what's going to happen uh, with the North Dakota guys. Pinto and Bernard Docker, I think even the head coach at North Dakota, Brad Berry, has admitted that it's time for these guys to turn pro. Yeah. So they're turning pro. But what happens with Sanderson? Because he looks like a guy, and you talk to hockey people, and they say the same thing. He looks like a guy that's ready right now to turn pro you know aj um i look at ottawa and, and it's obvious you look at the schedule they would be at least contending if they could beat the edmonton oilers uh the toronto maple leafs have been almost that kind of kryptonite for the oilers as well yeah. this year it's a matchup thing what's a, not what impresses me 
is that group that DJ King has, you know, Stutzler is going to be a player. He's already a player. Um, I don't see any major hurdles, uh, even with a flat cap. So cap wise, UFA wise next year, to me, this looks like a team that's definitely on the rise and that can definitely, I don't know if we're in this same formation next year or alignment of divisions, but this is a good young hockey club. Yeah, they still need some help on the back end. And obviously Sanderson and Bernard Docker long-term will provide that. The question is how quick mm-hmm. um, can, can they improve this back end? Because right now, like my biggest concern is, okay, number one, they're playing Thomas Shabbat way too much. There's nights he's playing over 30 minutes a game. Yeah. yeah. And, and to me, that's way too much just because you're not getting the best of Thomas Shabbat. He's pacing himself. And, and a lot of times he's making mistakes late in hockey games um, that you'll wonder if it's just based on the fact that he's dead tired. And and so I get it from DJ Smith's standpoint to to play him because he's so much better than the next best defenseman they have. Artem Zub, I really liked. He's been a pleasant surprise for me. And I think to be a top four defenseman down the road, but you know, there's, there's a big drop off after that. And that's Mm -hmm. where it's important that, you know, uh, that Bernard Docker and Sanderson and, you know, eventually a Lassie Thompson can pan out, but they're, they're still young guys. Right. And, and I think the biggest thing that Pierre Dorian needs to do in the off season, and, and this is, you know, this is a, this is the time to do it because with the flat cap and with, you know, the, the expansion draft on the horizon, you've got teams like Carolina, Minnesota, um, you know, other teams around the league that, are going to have to make a decision and tough decisions. And if you're Pierre Dorian, you have to go in pre-expansion draft and say, okay, you know, can, can we get one of your guys, Carolina, because you're going to lose somebody and somebody good for nothing. Would you rather not get an asset for them? Yeah. And, and so they, they have to target somebody, a veteran guy that can play in their top four right now, take some of the pressure off Thomas Shabbat and take some of the pressure off the young guys so that, you're not asking a Jake Sanderson or a Bernard Docker or a Lassie Thompson or an Eric Brandstrom to come up and perform miracles. You, you, you want them to come up and kind of slotting is so important, especially when it comes to defensemen and young defensemen that guys are playing the right amount of minutes. And, and right now, uh, the slotting that they have here on their blue line uh, is an ideal. A little lopsided. Hey, we, you got a show to do. Uh, thanks for your time today. Always great chatting, and we'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure, guys. Take care. There you go. That's AJ Jakubik from TSN 1200 in Ottawa joining us on the show. Kelly Rudy is joining us next week. Looking forward to that. Hey, Robin, before we go, got to tell people how uh, they can get a hold of us. If you have a, a maybe a suggested topic for the show or there's a guest you'd like to see us try to get, then just drop us an email at theoutsiders at shaw.ca. We get, uh, we get those emails frequently, and we love getting them, so keep them coming, okay? You can also check us out on Twitter, and the handle's real simple. It's at Outsiders2020. And also, make sure and tell your friends how they can find us. I noticed that uh, Apple is dropping the term subscribe. 
to your favorite podcast. It's now follow your favorite podcast ah. coming up because people, when they hear the word subscribe, think that we're charging cash money for this. And I'm nonetheless, the RSS feed is the most important thing. That way, when we release a new podcast, you get it automatically. You don't have to go hunting and searching for it. It just automatically comes to your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google. I listen on Spotify. There's also Pocket Casts. There's a million of them. But if you follow our RSS feed, it's uh, it's going to come right to you. It's as simple as that. That's it for the show today. Anything you want to add? Well, you know, our 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 inevitable march to domination in the sports talk segment has to begin somewhere. So, yeah, I mean, check us out. Let us know who and what you want to hear, uh, and we'll see what we can do. And we also have to mention the Macintosh group have really been big and huge for us because they've mm -hmm. stepped up and they've helped us uh, kind of keep us on the air. Uh, you know, it's the sponsorship that is an, a, a thing that we really do appreciate as well as, as people listening to us, but the support is greatly appreciated. The financial support also really, really important for us. And we'd be thrilled to talk to potential advertisers. We can and we'll get bigger. And that's only because of the support of our listeners and uh, Brent and his group and any other potential advertisers. So help out where you can. Kelly Rudy next week. Looking forward to that one, aren't you? Absolutely. Kelly's got a lot of things to talk about. That is it for today. Robin will chat with you next week. Yes, you will. Storm in the castle. <laughs>